an Ironic Media production. Visit us at I-R-O-N-I-C-K media.com. All right, welcome back to the Stark Transformation Show. I'm your host, Amy Stark. If this podcast has been broadcasting healing vibes into your life, please follow on Apple and Spotify and leave a review. Your review helps other people find this podcast and the transformations continue. And don't forget to share this podcast with anyone you think will benefit. Let's heal together. There's three places you can be living in your mind. You can be living in the past, you can be living in the future, or you can be living in the present. And if you find yourself outside of that present moment, and when I ask my patients, where are you living most of the time? They'll either say the future or the past. They're anywhere but the present moment. And so we need to get people to the present moment. And if you recognize that you're in the future, most people live in the future in a worrisome way, Mm -hmm. in an anxiety-driven way, or in a fortune-telling, catastrophizing, what-if way, rather than saying, hey, this is what I want to have happen, and affirming the outcome and getting quantum physics on your side. Right. Welcome to the Stark Transformation Show. I'm your host, Amy Stark. In this show, I'll be sharing messages of hope, healing, and transformation. I'll teach you how to shift your mindset, conquer your fears, and become the best version of you. You'll hear incredible stories of transformation and about the extraordinary journey I've been on for well over a decade. My connection with energy is so strong, and I can't wait to share it with you. Let's get started. All right. Today on the podcast, I have Dr. Chris Bjorndahl, and she is from Alberta, Canada. She wrote the book Beyond the Label, and she is a naturopathic doctor. And honestly, her book is perfect. I loved reading it. It is everything you need to know about mind, body, spirit on how to heal. I think that it was very comprehensive. I enjoyed all the little exercises, her reflections on her journey. She's very open about the fact that she struggled with mental illness and is considered an authority in the treatment of mental illness in Canada. Welcome to the show, Dr. Chris. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me here. It's great to be with you. (laughs) You're you're welcome. We met several years ago, so like probably six years ago now. It's great to have you on the show, and I've definitely been following your journey, and you are a light in this world, and I just appreciate everything that you're teaching and sharing. We can talk about so much today, but I want to just first touch on your story about how did you go from the corporate job to becoming a naturopathic doctor? Yeah, so I'm that typical overachiever type. And so I was working in the corporate world. I, I quickly climbed the ladder, reported to a CEO. But all the while I was wearing this mask that I'm, do- hey, I've got it all together on the outside, but I was so suffering on the inside, mm-hmm. struggling with depression and anxiety. And in my university time, I got diagnosed with a major mental illness, which started with depression and then with the medications had a psychotic episode. So bipolar disorder type one, which I was hiding, if you will, or had cast to the shadows. I had a suicide attempt in, oh, I won't date myself too much. So I had a suicide (laughs) attempt, which left me in a coma with kidney failure. And I was on dialysis and told I would need a kidney transplant. Mm -hmm. And so when I came out of that coma, I can tell you that I was not happy. I wasn't happy. 
like I was depressed going into it and I wasn't happy coming out of it, right? It right, right. Like the problem that I was seeking to solve, which was ending the suffering, mm-hmm. didn't happen. And so I was left with this hospital bed and the suffering. And now on top of that, kidney failure. And I'm on dialysis. Like what? Talk about being even more depressed than I was before. Right. You got to deal with all the shame as well and and the fear that other people are going to find out what happened. And yeah, oh, exactly. We can come back to that if we want, because it's something I never talk about. So I'm lying there and I am like, OK, this really sucks. And so I've got to figure another way to navigate my life, because what I'm doing, digging by psychotropic meds and wearing this mask and pretending that I'm OK when I'm not and being afraid to to say anything isn't obviously not working for me. Yeah. So a friend gave me... It's exactly what I told myself back when I was ready to do the same. Yeah, and you've probably heard of Marianne Williamson and her book, A Return to Love. So my best friend had given me that book to read. And there's a quote in that book on surrender, which goes along these lines, that surrender, it's not about breaking out of anything, but it's a gentle melting into who you really are. So you let down the armor or you take off that mask Mm -hmm. and you discover that all God needs is just one sincere, surrendered moment where love matters more than anything and nothing else really matters at all. So I'm reading this quote and I'm like, love is a foreign concept (laughs) to me. I'm like, what is that? It's surrender? So these words, surrender and love. And I'm like, I don't love myself at all. And so that's basically in a nutshell been the journey. So I ended up recovering and getting back to work and you had a miracle healing, right? Yeah. You're kidding. Yeah. I read it in the book. I was like, wow. Yeah. So go ahead. Yeah. Apparently the nephrologist was looking at me and he's like, I don't understand how you, A, you survived that and B, how your kidneys recovered. At that point, when he said that to me, I wasn't super happy still. (laughs) That wasn't the plan. (laughs) Exactly. That speaks to another tangent in in that I did, I have had to reconcile how come that didn't work. Right. And that gets into concepts like soul contracts and idea, but we can come back to that if if we need to. And then I eventually decided, okay, I need to figure out a better way. And that's when I navigated or found the same friend said, well, why don't you see a naturopathic doctor? So I ended up doing that and also seeing a nutritionally oriented psychiatrist named Abraham Hoffer At the time when I went to see him, he was in his 80s. I thought, well, this can't be the only guy in the entire country who's 80. Like, there's a lot of people struggling. So Mm -hmm. that's when I heard this question asked by Cheryl Richardson saying, if you could ask yourself this question, if money didn't matter, what would you be doing with your life? And I know that's easy for some people to maybe reflect on it. I, I get that it's not not always easy to just quit your day job in pursuit of your passion. And and I didn't just quit my day job, but I t- it took me another couple of years. Well, actually, I had to go back to high school to get the sciences to do the prerequisites to get into naturopathic school. But the answer that kept coming up for me was that go back to school, become a naturopathic doctor and help people in the way that you've been helped. Because after I started that treatment, now this is five years after that suicide attempt. So it took me five more years to get well, as we were talking about earlier, that it's not like you've arrived, you've healed and there's this big, aha, and and you've arrived. Like, you know, it's not a linear, it's not like you're getting to one spot. There's forward movement and there's just always movement in where you are. You always just are where you are. 
Yeah, it, there's definitely this feeling like you're going to arrive somewhere and it's going to be over and then the, the life is going to be great. And it is to a degree, but there's always this becoming of yourself and realizing more and more about yourself. I always say if we're not uncomfortable, we don't change. So the uncomfortable is going to come along at some point. So we can change if that's what we want to do if, is become a better person, a better version of ourselves. You went to naturopathic school and you learned how to heal, how you had been healed, really. Can you talk about just some of the principles that we might need to know about what you went through in that time? Because I do know that nutrition is really important and obviously not eating foods that you're allergic to is really important because like I know when I have gluten, for instance, I will get very emotional, like I will get depressed, I will be less patient than I really want to feel unmotivated. And so I, I hate those feelings. So I just don't have gluten. It's amazing to me when I mention it to people who are curious, they're like, oh, I've never heard of that before, but I, I experience that sometimes. <laughs> and then they're like, I think I'm going to try to remove gluten. And then they come back and they're like, oh my gosh, it was the gluten. So tell us more about like some of the vitamins we might need or other things yeah. that we can incorporate that really have a lot of power in terms of transformation. Yeah. So what I explained, just like the, the big picture overview, is that there's four aspects to you as a person. So there's the physical, the mental, the emotional, and the spiritual. So if you kind of visualize a circle, and those are four quadrants within that circle. And then we take out the physical, and we're going to slice that piece of the pie into three. So there's three key macro systems that represent the physical being that we all are, which is your neurotransmitters, your hormones, and your organs of detoxification. So for mental health, issues and 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 it doesn't matter we're just going to lump them all into that big bucket of mental health anything whatever label you want to use that's why my book is called beyond the label you want to figure out which macro system or systems do we need to be supporting mm. in, tra in traditional psychiatry they just focus on neurotransmitters mm. only but we got to understand that your hormones every single hormone if it's if there's an imbalance if you've ever met a woman <laughs> Yeah, right. Or a man too, though. Not yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. If your hormones, if they're out of balance, the symptoms can be in the mental health area. Mm -hmm. And wait, can I just pause for a second? In her book, she has all of the symptoms, you know, if it's deficient or if it's excessive. So I think it's really helpful. I was just looking at it and I was like, wow, okay. So take a look at that if you want to get her book. We'll leave the link. It's it's amazing. I mean, I'm telling you, it's like a little Bible <laughs> of like how to heal yourself. Honestly, if I could have written the book, I would have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you for saying that. I really, I really appreciate it. Because as you know, in writing, if you're going through that process or somebody's listening and they want to write a book, it's a it's a real process. Right? It's a labor of love for sure. Yeah. And I wasn't public about bipolar disorder when I wrote that book. Or sorry. Yeah. When I wrote the book, when I, I came out and I had a bit of a panic attack when I did that, because I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, my God, I've just ruined my career. Like now they're going to now they're going to know the mm -hmm. secrets out. But that's just all this judgment. Right. And a lot of stigma that I've heard since dealing with this since 1980. Let's just say 85 because I like round numbers. It's been a long time and coming back to your question. So then we want to ask, well, what is the foundation of health? And the foundation of health in my mind to support those, that physical level is nutrition, sleep, movement, and managing stress. Mm -hmm. And I know that some people will roll their eyes with the nutrition piece of the puzzle, but I cannot emphasize this enough. Like you are what you eat. And how do you think you're making neurotransmitters? How do you think you're making hormones? How, how are these processes happening in your body? Where are you getting the building blocks for them? Mm -hmm. 
And the irony is that in my case, I was deficient. I was a vegetarian. And so I was deficient in essential amino acids. So there's some essential amino acids that make neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin. So if you're missing those and that those are tryptophan and phenylalanine, tryptophan for serotonin and phenylalanine for dopamine, if you don't have those, you're not going to make those neurotransmitters. You're just not. And you're not going to feel good. You're not going to feel good. And so... That was eye-opening for me when I went to see Dr. Hoffer. There's so many nutrients that you could take. And the foundations, we definitely you want to be taking omega-3s. You want to be making sure you're having a proper B-complex vitamin. When it comes to supplements, there's a few things people are doing wrong. They're taking the wrong form of a nutrient or they're taking the wrong dose or they're taking one with ingredients in them that aren't beneficial. So we could do a whole day seminar on just the nutrients alone, but mm-hmm. magnesium is important. Mm-hmm right? Melatonin is very important. 5-HTP can be very important. Dealing with the gut and the microbiome is super important. That's another important piece of the puzzle that I just connected in my early 40s because they weren't talking about microbiome. That's been fairly recent in the last decade or two. I had done a year of antibiotics prior to my eating disorder. Yeah. That's a really long time. Yeah. For acne. Very common back in the 80s to put people on tetracycline. Yes, I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And I did that for a long time. And and then after that, I had an eating disorder. Then mm-hmm. after that, the anxiety. Of course, that makes sense. And the depression because I wasn't eating properly. Mm-hmm. Right? Like it all makes sense looking back. I can connect all those dots. But when you're in it, you can't see it, you know. Wow. I thought it was bad. I took very, very strong antibiotics for one month straight. I know that that destroyed my gut for sure. In fact, I've heard Dave Asprey even say that if you take one antibiotic, it destroys your entire microbiome. I'm not sure if that's accurate, but I mean, just one one pill, maybe two, let's say. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot and it's a problem. So you want to get that balance. It's important, all the nutrition and, and, and including what you're putting into your body in terms of medicines. Yeah, I mean, what happens is we just want to understand that there's more bacteria in and on you than you have cells in your body. And you have about three pounds of bacteria in your digestive tract alone. And if you take an antibiotic, you definitely disrupt the balance. And what can then can, can come back first is an opportunistic pathogen we've, we often refer to as candida. Mm-hmm. And then that can cause, because I know for myself, I would take the antibiotics and then I would develop bladder infections and then I would have to take more antibiotics and then I would get a yeast infection. Like it was just this vicious cycle. And and that, that's very common. The message is, as best as you can, avoid taking those. However, sometimes it ends up, you may have to. Mm-hmm. But it, And if you do, it's not the end of the world, but you just want to make sure you replenish and restore and rebalance. And, and it's not about just taking one probiotic. There's many, right. there's many bacteria. There's more bacteria out there than there are people on the planet. So it's just like on the planet, we have diversity in the human population. We want diversity in the gut population and the bacterial population too in your body. So these organisms within you, they send messages to your brain. And if you're a person who craves sugar, for example, or has a hard time kicking that habit, a lot of times we are hard on ourselves and we wonder, why can't I muscle through this? You know, what's wrong with me? Why don't I have the willpower to not eat the cupcake? And and I want you to understand it's not probably because you're not asking for the cupcake. It's these organisms in a sense have taken over you, you right? For sure. And they're the ones that want to survive. I've also heard that alcoholism can be related to that as well. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a big piece of medicine that's, which is great that, that it's getting 
more recognition and, and people are considering it more. So there's just so, and actually even on that note, even further, the good bacteria, they also help to support making vitamins and things for us too. But on the flip side, the, the bad bacteria, or if you have it imbalanced, they can also steal the nutrients from you. Like iron is a classic example. There's lots of people who are deficient in iron and people take iron and they don't understand why their iron isn't going up. I've heard that before. Yeah. So that was pretty recent for me to learn that actually. That's interesting. Definitely have to look at the gut. You know, you don't want to be like me and supplement a crappy diet. Okay. Because that's what I did for a long time is I used a lot of supplements and I didn't really work on the nutrition side because I felt better, but I was taking the supplements. And really... From a root, because naturopathic medicine, we want to figure out, well, what's the root, right? What's the root cause or causes of your health concern? And so if you take a supplement and you feel better, that's great. We want you to feel better. But if you stop taking the supplement or, for example, the pharmaceutical and you don't feel better, then have you changed anything, right? right. And that's that's what happened to me as I, I was taking five psychotropic meds and then I built in all those nutritional supplements and then I felt good for the first time in 15 years. And I thought, wow, there's something to this, these supplements. And then I tapered off the meds and just carried on with the supplements. But then after a while, you feel good, right? So you forget why you feel good. So you stop taking the supplements. <laughs> yeah. And then I ended up depressed again and anxious again because I never changed my diet. I was still deficient. The deficiencies I had were just the holes were being filled with the supplements. Well, the other point too is, you know how you feel in your body right now. But you don't know how good you can feel. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we accept how, where we are now as this is as good as it gets. Yeah, because especially doctors will tell you it is as good as it gets. I mean, I've heard that multiple times when I was younger. And the, the health and wellness that I have now, I never could have expected if I had kept going down the same path. Exactly. Like, I feel the best now at 55 and a half than I felt at 15 and a half. Right, <laughs> oh, right. I hear it. I, yeah, you would think that. 15, 20, 30, you'd have more vitality then because mm -hmm. we get a lot of misconceptions about aging as well, right? So I don't want to leave people just thinking, oh, you just take some supplements and that, that's it, right? We definitely want to make sure we're eating properly. And there's so much that goes in with food and the industry is just that. It's an industry. And what does any industry want to do? It wants to make money. So we don't want to get too caught up in every single craze that's out there, although there is some merit to some things. Jeff generally just have some common sense, right? Like it comes out of a package box, container bag. It's not whole food. It's not a real food, right? Mm -hmm. So shopping the perimeter and getting back to cooking, like we've really lost track in our society for sure. About 15 years ago, Dr. Um, or actually, I don't know if he's a doctor. Michael Pollan was talking about yes. shopping the perimeter and it was like shocking, you know, to hear somebody's talking like that. And now it's just worked its way into modern society. I mean, I would hope that it's, it's getting into the ears of everyone that they should probably eat more whole foods and shop the perimeter and the stuff in the middle is is only going to last because it's not real. <laughs> so you definitely dove into the idea that you need to love and accept yourself. And I think that once you realize and work towards that love and acceptance, nutrition be kind of just follows along with that because you're like, I love myself enough to make myself a nice meal, get the better quality food if I can afford it. It's just a natural pro progression. But like you have some real actionable tools that you offer in your book about how we can begin that love and acceptance because that was a real part of your journey, right? It was loving and accepting you. 
Yes. Thank you. I love that you mentioned Michael Pollan because I was just going to mention him, that he said we've given up two hours a day for screen time. And what have we given up in that two hours? We've given up cooking and we've given up movement. Hmm. So interesting. I really like him. So the love and acceptance piece is huge. It's so huge. And as a recovering overachiever, I generally muscled my way through life with with a very strong inner critic. Mm-hmm. Right. With this with this voice, you're not working hard enough. You're not jumping high enough. You're not running fast enough. You're not you're just not fill in the blank. And that was a strategy that perhaps served me in, in some regard. But actually, it really ended up, I think, sabotaging me and being the vo- that's voice that pulled me into those dark places all the time. So developing self-compassion even the word compassion was a foreign concept for me. It, it's still, it, it, it's, it, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm perfect at it, but it's definitely been the, the emphasis of the healing over this last five to 10 years has been in this realm of, of compassion. And I lean into it gently with patients by first just paying attention again to this voice that's within. We all have this, and I'm not talking delusional voice unless you're have experience with psychosis that's different i'm just talking about the voice that's nattering at you what you want to understand is that your nervous system has two branches to it in science they say sympathetic or parasympathetic and we can just say that think stress or relax Mm -hmm. and to tie this back with digestion and nutrition that process in the body doesn't happen properly unless you're in a parasympathetic state or a relaxed state. So as you're listening to this, I just want you to think about the last meal that you had. How, how was that? Did you have it driving through the drive-through? Were you eating on the run? Were you eating at your desk? Were you chomp, chomp, swallow? Like, or did you actually sit, prepare, you know, enjoy, cook the meal? <laughs> Most people are not doing that. And one of my pet peeves with the health industry is that everyone's focusing on the food that you're eating. I do that too. But who's talking to you about the state in which you're in when you're eating the food? Yeah, because when does digestion start? It starts with the sense of smell when you're cooking the food, right? Then that sends a signal along the vagus nerve. Okay, hey, stomach, get ready. But when you un- unwrap and down the hatch, the stomach's like, whoa. Yeah, we were ready for this. Yeah, We were ready for this. And then what happened? Then we got people with bloating, gas, indigestion, heartburn, right? And like... Back it up a few steps, back it up. That's really important to connect this back to the thoughts then is if you're thinking a thought that's self-critical, what state is that going to put your nervous system into? Chances are it's going to be fight or flight. Exactly. And from that place that we move into a hormonal cascade that produces more cortisol, then we start feeling a lot of the symptoms of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Right. So learning to navigate and calm that nervous system is really important. And, and I believe in Candace Pert's work of psychoneuroimmunology, which is just a fancy word that says your thoughts affect your physiology, mm-hmm. right? Your thoughts affect the hormones that you produce, which in turn affect how you feel. I used to roll my eyes at people that said to me, oh, hey, Chris, change your thoughts, change your life. <laughs> I used to like walk out of the room because I was so upset because I felt like people were implying that I was intentionally causing my depression. And if it was that simple to snap my finger and be out of it, you don't think that I would have, right? But I was really resistant to that idea 
but I didn't understand psychoneuroimmunology. And I didn't understand that I don't actually have to believe the thought, but the thought that I say affects my physiology and that affects how I feel. Mm -hmm. Nowhere is it written I have to believe the thought. Mm -hmm. So what I teach people is this process called the seven R's of working with problematic thoughts and managing your emotions. And and really, it's it's just about recognizing who's got the stage in your mind. Is this thought serving you or sabotaging you? Is it hurting you or helping you? Like getting really objective about the thought. And then if it is, then let's see if we can refrain from following it by relaxing into the body with the breath. And see if we can engage that nervous system to move us to let it from the swing into sympathetic, into neutral, hopefully, and ideally over into parasympathetic. Right. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because Michael Pollan, we were just talking about him. One of the things I heard him say actually is that anxiety is us living in the future and depression is us living in the past. And I'm interested in like the chemicals that we would be experiencing and how that relates to When we hear those thoughts of like, we're not good enough, what are we trying to do? We are trying to figure out how can I be good enough? And now you're in the future, which is going to give you anxiety because you're not there yet and you can't complete it yet. You have to get there and then you can complete it. But so that's going to leave you in a state of limbo and and anxiety. And so when we have those types of feelings, what other than the the cascade of chemicals and the lack of, I guess, neurotransmitters, would we be burning them up if we have thoughts like that? Is that okay? It is. Well, it's more that the the hormones that get produced. So basically, your thoughts create neuropeptides. It's the neuropeptides that then communicate with the glands in our body primarily. And you have your neuroendocrine system, which consists of your hypothalamus, pituitary, your thyroid, your ovaries, or your testes in men, and then the adrenal glands. And every single one of those glands that I just mentioned produces hormones. And the main hormones that we talk about are thyroid hormone, DHEA, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, testosterone, and cortisol. There's many other hormones. Those are just kind of the the main, the top, the top seven ones. But there's other ones. Well, there's other things I could expand on, but there are those. Well, actually, some of them are kind of referred to as hormones and neurotransmitters. So when you think of thought, it creates that neuropeptide, and then that communicates with the various glands that cause the glands to produce a hormone, and then we feel a certain way. For example, getting married and getting divorced, they're both actually stressful, but that one's considered positive and one's considered negative, or maybe getting divorced is considered a positive. I don't know. (laughs) But you know what what I'm trying to say is the body can't differentiate between good and bad. It's all just this one big, huge bucket of stress. And when we move into stress, we talk about fight or flight, but there's kind of five Fs. There's fear. Five. Yeah. I haven't heard the last one. Okay, let's see if I remember. I say fear and then fight, light, freeze, or fawn. Yeah, okay, so fear is, yeah. Yeah, So fear could be like the catch-all, I guess, with Mm -hmm. all of those. You're in fear and then you do one of those four. Right, yeah. Either fight, light, freeze, or fawn. What we always want to understand is that there's three places you can be living in your mind. You can be living in the past, you can be living in the future, or you can be living in the present. And if you find yourself outside of that present moment, and when I ask my patients, where are you living most of the time, they'll either say the future or the past. They're anywhere but the present moment. And so we need to get people to the present moment. And if you recognize that you're in the future, most people live in the future in a worrisome way, Mm -hmm. in an anxiety-driven way, or in a fortune-telling, catastrophizing, what-if way. 
rather than saying, hey, this is what I want to have happen and affirming the outcome and getting quantum physics on your side. Right. (laughs) I do talk about that a lot. Yeah. I mean, I think people who have experienced trauma wind up living in anxiety because they're catastrophizing the future. You know, what we really are meant to be doing with this beautiful body that we have is sending out the signal of what we want to create versus trying to find the worst case scenario. And we do that to protect ourselves, obviously. And there's various ways in which we're trying to protect ourselves, whether it's shame or regret or whatever. But those are the reasons why we do that. Telling people to live in the present moment, they're like, it's really uncomfortable here. (laughs) And so that is exactly why we need to be there, because we need to feel it to heal it. And we need to take that opportunity to process it out. And if we don't sit with ourselves, we miss the opportunity to be in the present moment and heal ourselves so that the future can look different. And even how we remember the past can look different. I mean, because we can go back and realize, oh, I chose those people in that situation because I was going through this and I learned this, that, and the other thing and just created the person I am today. And I'm thankful for that and thankful for the lessons. I tend to do that because why not? (laughs) If we can, I can use my brain however I want. And I can either say that shit happened and it was horrible, or I could say that shit happened. I learned from it and I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Mindset. Yeah. And I think the present moment is, is, as you said, it's uncomfortable for a lot of people because of their, because they're carrying the past into the present moment. And sometimes you got to get a little uncomfortable in order to get comfortable. If there is trauma and a lot of people have trauma, big T trauma, little T trauma, you know, you got to do something, work with someone, get help to navigate that. But ultimately, trauma can leave people in the past, right? And like you said, and then fearful about the future. Mm -hmm. And so learning to navigate to the present moment is in and to accept. There's a great book called Whatever Arises, Love That. So whatever arises within you, we have to lean into love. Because love is going to guide you to the healing. Yeah, you have a great exercise. And I was hoping that we'd be able to do that where you can tap into your heart space and your intuition to guide us through that. Yeah, yeah. I I did it, you know, this morning I saw it and I was reading it. Okay. Uh, So let's do it. Yeah. And you'll be my example. Example. Yes. Subject. You'll be the subject. Yeah. All right. Okay. So and then people can do this as they're listening. So we'll just put your hands over your heart and close your eyes and just take a deep breath in here in this moment. And then as you're settling in, I'm going to ask a question and then I'll get you to repeat it. And then the answer that comes for you. The first one is really a statement, which is heart, show me where you are. So just say that heart. No heart. (laughs) I was saying it in my head. (laughs) Yeah, say it out loud. Show me where you are. Yeah. And then just pay attention to whether you notice a word, a color. Accusation blue. Nice. And then repeating after me, heart, will you ever lie to me? Yes or no? Heart, will you ever lie to me? No. And heart, have I always followed you? Yes or no? Heart, have I always followed you? Yes, mostly. (laughs) Yes, mostly. Okay. It was like, yeah. (laughs) Like that. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to say, I'm going to take that as a no. No, (laughs) you said always. So yeah, I guess that's, that would be a no. Okay. Oh, so just taking another breath here, breathing in. 
And so for those of you who are listening and you answered no as well, then you would continue on with us in this line of questioning, which is the next question is, Heart, how do you feel when you hear, I haven't always followed you? Heart, how do you feel when you hear that I don't always follow you? Sad. So just breathing into that sadness and asking the next question, Heart, why do you feel sad? Heart, why do you feel sad? Missed opportunities. Okay, so Heart, can you forgive me for not always following you? Yes or no? Heart, can you forgive me for not always following you? Yes, of course. Yeah. Perfect. And the last question is, Heart, can you help me forgive myself for not always following you? Heart, can you, can you I'm so bad at following directions. <laughs> Heart, can you help me forgive myself? Yes. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Yes. Yeah, so thank you. Thank you for doing that. I I know that putting your hand on your heart helps to release oxytocin. So I think that also helps with this whole connection and feeling the love and getting connected. Yeah. The reason I like that exercise, I learned it. So I saw Mastin Kip do it. It's from him. And it's basically, we want to learn that there's a great quote by Joseph Campbell that is, the heart must usher the mind into the zone of revelation. So we want to learn to lead our lives from a heart-centered place. Mm-hmm. And then have the ego mind help us figure out the how-tos. Mm-hmm. But most people are doing it the other way around. Yep. And we're leading, right? And we're living from the neck up and we're and we're and we're just sort of stuck in, in the in the in the head with our thoughts. And the ego can often be the driver there. And it's it's not that the ego is bad all the time, it's just that it can keep us stuck in fear, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I when I mentioned that making that career change, I sat with the question, if money didn't matter, what would I be doing? The answer that kept coming up. In, in these tiny whispers was to go back to become a naturopathic doctor. But then the immediate thought right after that was, are you out of your mind? You can't do that. Mm-hmm. Right? The voice of fear. And so essentially we have three brains, if you will, right? The heart has this, its own nervous system mm-hmm. and it's, it's a brain in a sense in and of itself. It has a neural network is what I've read. So yeah, I was surprised to hear that. Mm-hmm. And then you have your gut and we talk about gut instinct and intuition and and I and I think and then we have our brain. So I think that we have to stop putting the emphasis on this part, like just the brain, mm-hmm. and really consider the whole body and the interconnectedness of these three systems mm-hmm. within. In essence, which master are you going to listen to? And when you can lead from a place of love and lead from the heart, this is where the answers lie. You have an intuitive sense. We all are born with this. Mm-hmm. And we all have it. It's just that we don't, we learn at some point along the way to, to not trust it. And that comes back to trauma often. Right. So the way you can work with it, if you're listening, is you don't have to be like me and, and navigate a career change. But what you can do is just start to build confidence by asking yourself and tuning in to small things that are inconsequential, like brown rice or quinoa tonight. Or mm-hmm. if you're not eating grains, then chicken or beef. And if you're not eating animals than broccoli or cauliflower like (laughs) just or blue dress black dress like nothing's gonna go wrong you got nothing to lose yeah yeah and then you'll build your confidence you'll build your confidence right Mm -hmm. build your trust and then when you get the hit hey call your sister 
you might be more inclined to act on it. Yeah, that's a great suggestion because we do have to build that confidence. And I do say that, you know, for being psychic, you do need to know that you can do it. Like you have to take those risks. And I remember sometimes it was saying the most ridiculous things that were coming to me to the other person and then having them validate it and be like, whoa, how in the world did I get that? You know, and that's accurate. Being able to follow our intuition and be connected to ourselves isn't just doing a reading. It can be part of our daily life. For instance, this shirt, I was like, I want to wear that shirt. (laughs) Today, I was like, I don't care. I want that color. And I was like, that's going to feel good. And I do use my intuition to do those kinds of things. And you forget because it becomes such a part of your life. And it's right. important to bring that up. So, yeah. Um, and when you asked, when I said, heart, where, heart, show me where you are, you said blue. And I'm oh, like, right. Well, you're blue. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> my colors. Also, my branding colors. I'm usually in blue. I do love blue and it is very healing. And one thing you said about I want to switch or what should I do? And you're when you take away money as the issue, the driver, right? That was focusing on the material world. And Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about that, that ego and fear is in the material world and it's looking outside of you versus looking inward. And I think it's a great suggestion as well, just to like say, okay, if I take away these things like money or location, for instance, because you can now almost you can be anywhere, what would I be doing? What would make me the most happy? And you know what? It's so silly that that is something that we struggle to even ask ourselves. It's so sad that we have gotten to a place where we forget to ask ourselves these important questions. Like, how can I be more happy? What would make me happy? If I, if nothing else mattered, what would I be doing? Exactly. And the other question that we need to start asking more is not what am I going to do, but who do I want to be? Mm-hmm. Right, because we aren't human doers. We're we're human beings. And so I'm seeing this as my son is turning 17 and and entering his last year. People are asking the question, what are you going to do when you grow up? Right. And and I and I think it would be nice if we shifted that conversation to what kind of person do you want to be? Do you want to be kind? Do you want to be considerate, compassionate? Like these emotional intelligence skills. We focus so much in our in our children and getting them through school and you got to get good grades and go to a good, good university so you get a good job. And like I did that <laughs> and I ended up trying to kill myself three times. Like that's not the only track. And you have to be emotionally intelligent. I was doing research for a talk I was giving and it said that intellectual intelligence might get you the job. Your IQ might get you the job, but it's your EQ, your emotional intelligence that will keep you the job. Right. Also, another question to ask is, how can I be of service? How can I best serve? And I know that we can't be uh, necessarily all doing, our society runs on people doing certain roles, right? We have mm-hmm. the doctors and the lawyers and cashiers and teachers and janitors and, and, the, and CEOs and senior executives. And my point is that what every single role that I just said has in common is at the end of the day, you're all a human. It doesn't matter the role. When you align yourself with the vertical plane versus the horizontal, so the horizontal is the material and the vertical is the spiritual, and you take money out of it, it's all about what kind of person are you? Does it matter the role? And I know that this is controversial and people are like, well, Chris, how am I supposed to put food on the table, clothes on my back and a roof over my head? And I get it. We have a problem. Our society has a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know that you and I are going to fix it in the hour that we have together or the time 
But my point that is if we take money out and we focus on being nice to each other, the world would be so much better, I think. Yeah. Well, but it's hard. Where are those nudges? And I read in your book, you're like, if you if you're always talking, how are you going to hear the whispers of God? And it's true. Or just even the whispers of your intuition. Those little nudges go here, take a left. There's so many times in my life that I've heard that and I've been so grateful that I listened. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Do you have anything else you want to share with us on like the number one thing we should do to find more love and acceptance? (laughs) To put you on the spot. Yeah, right. The number one thing we should do to find more love and and acceptance within ourselves. Mm -hmm. I think it has to start within and then emanate out. Right. And so if you're someone who's listening right now and maybe you've experienced depression or anxiety or been suicidal or been just diagnosed with bipolar disorder and that's where you are, just know that maybe you can use me as a beacon of of hope and light and love that healing is possible. It really is. And it's it's definitely a journey. You're in the world, you're navigating the the journey of, of your life. And and so there's ways to do that in a supportive way. And it does start with paying attention to that voice inside, right? And, 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 and just asking that simple question, is this thought that I'm thinking serving me or not? Mm-hmm. And if it's not, well, then we might have to peel some layers and figure out why, why that thought keeps coming around because mm-hmm. it's often pointing to subconscious beliefs, which can often be connected back to trauma. Yeah, I liked how you had that flow chart where it was like, okay, so what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? So like you just keep peeling back the layer and like you get to this bottom belief, which is like, I'm not good enough or I'll never be good enough. And then that's what's causing the anxiety and why you keep perpetuating each thought. Yeah. I mean, the book is amazing. I hope that you all go out and get it because it is so informative on so many levels. It is the mind, body, spirit, healing, and just great actionable items. Plus you share a lot about your journey. I really enjoyed that feeling connected to you. I am so happy that we got to talk to you today and have you on the show and you got to share how to be more loving and accepting of ourselves and what we need to do to heal our mind and the thoughts that we have. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, appreciate it. today's podcast, you're going to love the UR Energy course. I'm going to drop the link below so you can pick up that course. I go much more in depth about the science behind healing and I share the tools and techniques that I use every single day to help my body heal. All content provided by Amy Stark and or her guests on the Stark Transformation Show website or other platforms, including text, images, audio, or other formats, are created for informational purposes only. Always seek the advice of a physician or qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition. Amy Stark is not a doctor or a therapist.